Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad they are joining us for the study of God's Word. We've been doing a series called Can't Lose, and the basic theme of the series is this. When we reconcile with each other and are united with each other, in spite of our differences, we can't lose. And so in part one, we talked about racial and ethnic differences. Uh, In part two, we talked about different love languages. Last Sunday, I talked about political differences. And now today, we're talking about age differences. And the title of today's study is A Winning Roster. Uh, Here's our theme verse for the morning. It's Psalm 33, uh, verse 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes, there's our favorite English word, the purposes of his heart through all generations. God's, over the last 146 years, his plans are firm for our church forever into eternity. The purposes of his heart here at Purpose Church have gone on from generation to generation through all generations. Now, I always say a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, I think three pictures are worth 3,000 words. And here's some pictures from our spiritual uh, grandparents uh, night, Wednesday night, called Generations. And this was envisioned by Pastor Eric uh, to bring together students and spiritual grandparents of multiple generations, over 300 students and their spiritual grandparents. Boy, I drove up here on Wednesday night, and I'm like, what is going on in our parking lot? It looked like some mass protest or something going on there. This huge group across our parking lot, and there was this beautiful picture of multiple generations, spiritual grandparents mentoring the younger generation, and it was just an absolute, absolute thrill uh, to see. Now, here's our big idea for the day. Uh, The best teams have a healthy mixture of rookies, veterans, and players in their prime. Does anybody want to say amen to that, okay? The best teams have a healthy mixture of rookies, veterans, and players in their prime. And I'll leave it up to you which category you put yourself in, okay? You can choose which of those three uh, that you're in. Now, as you look at that chart that I put there in your study outline, uh, I really, I don't think this is overstating the case to say that of all the churches in America, I, there are very few, if any, that are as widely dispersed across the generations and across the decades as, as our churches, as purpose churches. It is absolutely remarkable to look at that chart and see the strong representation in each of these nine decades that are mentioned there, particularly when you compare them to the census percentage uh, from the L.A. County Census. It's just remarkable. Most churches specialize in one generation over the other generations. Or one, churches tend to specialize in one or two decades to the exclusion of the other decades. And here you see the strong representation, unlike I think almost any other church in America, across the decades, across the, the generations. Now you can see that the three decades where we are underrepresented are those in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so that's why we are intentionally working to strengthen our ministries to those. It's not dramatically off. It's still a pretty good, healthy representation, but it's somewhat off. And so you can see our target there. We'll continue to minister to all the other uh, of the six, nine generations altogether, the other six decades. We will continue to minister.
minister to, but we're going to try to strengthen our ministry to those three decades uh, to strengthen our ministry in that area because they are underrepresented with regard to the census of the county around us. You'll see there are over 7,000 people that consider Purpose Church their home. And so what we're going to look at uh, with the other pastors up here with me, you can see them on the bench there, anxious to get into the game, and we're going to take turns here, and we're going to talk about how each decade of life contributes to the overall team to make us strong, and then a challenge uh, to each decade in order to be strong in that area so that together the best teams have a healthy mixture of rookies, veterans, and players in their prime. So to kick things off uh, for those 20s and younger, now Pastor Eric turns 30 in February. So he's got three more months uh, to represent uh, those of their 20s. Would you please welcome Pastor Eric as he comes to share with us Thank right you, now. Pastor Glenn. Thank you. Uh, so I'll be speaking on behalf of the rookies. And uh, I think the first thing that we rookies need to acknowledge is that we have an incredible cast of pastors, an incredible team of pastors and leaders at this church who have set the way for us, who, whose shoulders we will stand on. And I would just love it if we could just show appreciation for our incredible senior pastor and pastoral team, many of who aren't even on this bench right now. But as, as a rookie pastor, as a rookie pastor, I have a question for you. And, and this applies to any of you who are, who are 29 and under. The question is this. What story is your life going to tell? What story is your life going to tell? Out the gate, I, I think you basically have two options. And, and this is an important time in our lives to figure out what story our lives are going to tell. Our, our, our lives will either tell the story of us or our lives will tell the story of God. And you have a huge, huge decision to make before you. I, I was reading on this reputable, just amazing, renowned, world-renowned website. Uh, many of you have heard of it. It's, a, it's an incredible source of literature, twitter.com. Uh, and and, and on, on twitter.com, on my feed, there was this quote from a pastor I like. And uh, he, he said this, Start living today the stories you want to tell on your 93rd birthday. Start living today the stories that you want to tell on your 93rd birthday, 29 and unders. What story do you want your life to tell? Because if it's a story of you, it's going to be really boring and frankly insignificant. But if you choose, if you choose to live your life for the greatest story ever told, you will see God use your story in amazing, incredible ways. You see, every person in this room, and especially those of us 29 and under, are asking three questions. We're saying, who am I, where do I belong, and what's my purpose? And I believe since every person is created in the image of God, these questions are burned into our soul that we are on a journey trying to answer who we are, where do we belong, and what's our purpose? And then when you meet God and you encounter God, you recognize that he is a good, loving, gracious, forgiving God who invites all people to let go of their own story and to take hold of his story and to live your lives for his story. The thing is, we could spend, we could spend countless hours and time and energy and money and relationships seeking what is our true purpose, what is our true identity, where, where do we actually belong, when all the while God has given that to us. And it's that we belong, even as young people, we belong as leaders in his church. 
That the church isn't a place for 29 and unders to sit on the sidelines. And what I love about Purpose Church is that this is a church that believes in young people. That believes 29 and unders should be leading in our church. So the question is how? How do we do that? And maybe some of you that are 29 and under, you go, there's no way I'm ready for that. There's no way I can actually be a leader. There's no way that God could actually use me in a really great age, in a great way because of my age. And, and, and you may be looking at your age as a reason that you can't, but God is looking at your age as a reason you can to do the impossible in your life. And so Paul, this guy, writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And what's interesting is some commentaries I was reading this week were telling me that, that, that there's, a, there's a good likelihood that, that Timothy was 29 years old when Paul wrote these words to him. And, and, and Timothy, a young pastor of a church, just felt like he couldn't do it. Just felt like he wasn't equipped. Felt like he was inadequate. Felt like he was too young. And then Paul in 1 Timothy 4.12 says this to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. 29 and unders, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let yourselves look down on you because you are young. But instead, instead, Paul says, set an example. Set, this word in the Greek language, actually means to be. And so Paul is saying, don't just set an example for the Instagram. Don't just set an example for, for people when they're around you or there's a big audience. No, no, no. Be an example. Live such a countercultural life, such a different life that the believers would look at you and notice. And then Paul gets very specific and he says, be the example in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so 29 and unders, in our speech, let's not be the generation that uses our words carelessly. Instead, let's use each word to build something in another person that the world can't do without. Let's use, the, as, as some researchers say, we have 16,000 words that we use every day. What if we use those 16,000 words to build others up? To speak words of love and encouragement in social media, in our friendships, at coffee shops, in our relationships with our roommates, whoever we're with. Would we use our speech to be the example? And then in our conduct, let's not be the generation that carries ourselves like we're worthless. Or, or like we will be worth something if that boy hooks up with us. Or, or if that girl hangs out with us. Or if we get into that college or go to that career. Whatever it may be. Let's not carry ourselves that way. Instead, let's act in a way that leaves a legacy, the kind of legacy that people look at and they see Jesus. In our love, let's not be a generation that reduces love to a feeling, but instead let's love without reserve, especially those who hate us because that was Jesus's vision for what perfect love is, is people who love their enemies. And in faith, let's not be the generation that spends more time on Instagram than in the word of God. Instead, let's be the generation that lives to, to serve, to love, and to know God deeper and deeper each year. And then lastly, in purity. Let's not, 29 and unders, let's not be the generation that contributes to the sex slave industry by consuming it in mass quantities. Instead, let's be the generation that puts an end to human trafficking. Let's be the generation. 29 and unders. Let's be the generation that is the example. Let's be the generation that lives for the greatest story ever told. Would you welcome up Pastor Lisa?
was getting a little nervous that Pastor Glenn was going to reveal each of our ages up here this morning. (laughs) C.S. Lewis says, 30 was so strange for me. I really had to come to terms with the fact that I was now a walking and talking adult. Now, social media has come up with a new verb that is all over. It's hashtag adulting. Have you seen this? Here we go. Uh, Learning to work a budget. Hashtag adulting. Getting married. Hashtag adulting. Separating my whites, lights, and colors for the first time. Hashtag adulting. Having a baby. Adulting. Just started my retirement fund. Adulting. Mortgage payments. What? Adulting. Getting super pumped about home appliances. Hashtag adulting. A married fight. Hashtag adulting. Having another baby. Hashtag adulting. Little league. Hashtag adulting. PTA meetings. Hashtag adulting. Staying home on Friday night. Hashtag adulting. 30s is a busy generation. We are busy building our careers and our families. And I have to tell you, Purpose Church loves people in their 30s. And God loves people in their 30s. Jesus himself began his ministry in his 30s. For three years, he poured into people. He invested in the disciples. He taught and preached the truth and the life and the hope of Almighty God. And then he went to the cross and he resurrected from the dead. God used Jesus in a powerful way when he was in his 30s. And I believe God wants to use you when you are in your 30s in a mighty way as well. In your 30s, you start to get a little bit more comfortable in your skin. You start to identify a little bit more the way that God has wired you. Um, You start to sense a little bit the direction that you and your life is starting to move in. And even with it being such a busy decade, a decade where you are building your career and building your families, we love that when you are in in your 30s with such a busy schedule, you still show up for church. You still make God a priority. You still want to get invested in the word of God and how God can speak truth into your life. We love your questions. We love your energy. We love your passion for justice. And we love your tech-savvy ways. And we really love that you want to have a balance with your work and your family, that that's a priority for you, that that's something important that you are invested in. And we believe that even as you build your career and even as you build your family, that you still too can help in the work of building the very kingdom of God. And as you chart your course for your life, we believe and we need you. We want you to invest in helping our church chart the course for the future of our church. We want you to help us chart the course of how to reach your friends and your families, particularly those in your 30s, that even when you don't feel like you have much to contribute, that you still show up. You still let your voice be heard. And even when you don't feel like you're making much money, you still tithe faithfully to show that you trust in God and his provision for you in your life. And even when you don't feel like God's timing is happening in the way in your life that you wanted it to happen, you still trust in God's timing. You still trust that God holds your life, your family, your career, everything that you are in his hand. And as you seek to make your, wa- your mark on this world, you walk line the- alongside the one who was marked on your behalf. And when the weight of the world presses in on you, you press into Jesus, who wants to hold you and guide you, as he does want to hold and guide our world. 
It's easy to feel like you're always in a hurry when you are in your 30s. And scripture reminds us so powerfully in Isaiah 40, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men and women stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so with all that life to live in our 30s, it's a busy decade. It's easy to grow weary. And perhaps we can be the generation that takes my hurry at 30 and transforms it into God's journey at 30. We take my hurry at 30, and we transform it into God's journey at 30. And the good news for those in their 30s, and for all of us today, is that when we put our hope in the Lord, the promise is there that he will renew our strength so that we can continue to run into the future, that we can continue to run right into our 40s. Being in my early 30s, I'm not quite sure why I'm speaking on the 40s, but. <laughs> and sometimes your laughter hurts, so I just want to thank you for this morning, the encouragement. No, when you're in your 40s, I don't know that the questions change all that much from your 20s. It's like, do I matter? Um, or what is, what, what the things that I'm doing, are, am I effective at it? Uh, if you're a parent, you start looking at your kids and you start comparing a little bit, don't you? Not maybe between kids and kids, your own, but the other people's kids. And so long as mine are a little better than theirs, oh, I feel pretty good. And so we keep comparing and comparing, or we look at our vocations or the careers that we have and go, okay, is mine as important as? And this happened, I mean, this happened to me probably like three or four weeks ago. I was just kind of standing here on a Sunday morning going, gosh, what's my purpose? I mean, I think I greeted every one of you twice. But there's honestly a time, if I'm not preaching, I kind of sit and go, gosh, what am I here for? And there's, here's where it's unhealthy. I am not a preacher. I'm a child of God who's called to preach. What I do should not define me. Who I am should define what it is that I do. Do you see the difference? Because of all that we do, it's connected to what we do. All that we are is connected to what we do. When we don't do those things, we have this weird thing that happens called a midlife crisis. We start looking around wondering, okay, what's my point? What's my purpose? Instead of going, okay, at the root of it, who am I? See, when Jesus is looking at his disciples and he just got done bragging about John the Baptist, and then he's kind of given this correlation. He's kind of comparing, okay, you could go the way of the Pharisees and have all these rules and regulations where you're weighed down, or catch this, he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that word rest there, guys, it is, it's, it's more than just, hey, I can take a nap. Which I'm going to be honest, is there anything more heavenly or godly than a nap. That's why so many of you take it on Sundays, because it's God's day. <laughs> but it's so much more than that. It's, it's also to keep quiet of calm and patient expectation. To keep quiet. Hey, we can be calm. Whether our candidate won or not, we can be calm. Why? Because I'm going to go to Jesus. He says, all those of you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just come to me. 
Take my yoke upon you. This idea of yoke. Hey, do what I say. Go in my direction. Obey me. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here's the promise. And you will find rest for your souls. Guys, he takes that phrase, being that Jesus wrote the book, he would know that he said it in Jeremiah 6. He says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And just that phrase, rest for your souls, somehow it kind of hits us, doesn't it? We can kind of just sit back and go, you say, well, who wouldn't want that? When you continue through the verse, it says, but they said, we will not walk in it those ancient paths i can't go that way wait to stay close to god i have to read the bible and i have to pray and spend time with them i have to be in a community and serve no no no. i want to find the new way something that's quicker something i can instagram and double tap and say this is what i like hashtag i'm amazing all the while we're supposed to be living for a legacy but whose name are we trying to leave in the legacy Am I trying to build up a name for myself so that when I die, people remember the name of Brian, maybe for a generation? Or am I striving to live a legacy so that the name of Jesus is continued on from generation to generation to generation? Because in the end, people don't need to know me. People need to know him. Parents, what if we parented for the applause of Jesus rather than the approval of the many? What if we lived our lives for the applause of Jesus rather than the approval of the masses? Here's what I think. Living for the applause of Jesus frees you from living the life everyone else expects you to live. One approval, one applause. And at the end of our lives, may we see Jesus standing in ovation and applauding as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But right now, not for the approval of the many, but for the applause of the one who matters. What if we did that? What would it look like? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, may we strive for the applause of one and live a life that he's actually called us to live. As we talk about the different decades of life, realize that in our culture, we don't have a lot of benchmarks or a rite of passage, but we do have one for when you enter your 50s. And that is, you know, that, that moment, it usually catches us by surprise as we, we head to the mailbox to see if there's some uh, birthday cards that might lift our spirits on our 50th birthday, and we open up that evil letter that invites us, you know who've reached your 50s, you know what it is, invites us to join the AARP, right? <laughs> and we're at this place where, you know, we're turning 50, but 50 is the new 40 or the new 30 or whatever we want to, you know, try to tell ourselves. And, and now, now we're getting this notification that now you're supposed to think about retirement. Now you're supposed to think about becoming old. And we don't like anything that uh, has any of those kind of connotations. Well, as we talk about the 50s, I want to make the case that instead of the 50s being a time where we start thinking about retirement, uh, but instead that as Glenn talked about, those
those in their, their prime time, uh, that the 50s are that prime time. That all of the, the generations that we're talking about are so valuable and necessary in the church. But there are some factors that come together in our 50s most often that put us in a prime time for our contributions to the church and to the kingdom of God. Those factors are that we have the experiences and the accomplishments and the resources that we've accumulated, and you combine those with the, the opportunities that are still before us in life, and it puts us at a prime time in our years. By our fifth decade in our, in our work, uh, we have skills and accomplishments and respect and influence in our work. In our, in our finances, we often enter our highest wage-earning years during our 50s. And in our families, we have gotten past those uh, parenting years where it's so time intensive. And maybe we've even made it through the tumultuous teenage years, or at least we see light at the end of the tunnel. And so we are in those prime years. Now, some of you in your 50s may be like me thinking, if I hear that description, I don't feel like I'm in my prime years as far as finances and family and work. Uh, in fact, things haven't really turned out the way I expected uh, when I reached my 50s. If you're in that place, realize that there's something that we have accumulated uh, that we may not recognize. And it's very important. Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. And you see, as we go through the decades of our life, uh, we can gain some wisdom by things turning out the way we planned. But that's not often how we gain wisdom. Uh, usually wisdom is gained most through those failures, through those failings, through those mistakes, and through those trials and struggles. And so as many of us enter our 50s, we can say, yes, we have been blessed. We've been blessed greatly with wisdom through some of those tough times in our lives that have been in the past or we're currently in. Now, of course, in our 60s and, and beyond, uh, we can... Uh, continue to accumulate those things and have accomplishments, and we can be at a place where we have so much more wisdom. But there's an opportunity in our 50s. Uh, you see on that chart that, that we in our 50s are in that bridge between the 20s and 30s and 40s that are under, underrepresented in our church and the, the 60s and beyond. And we're, we're in that prime spot where we often are earning more than we've ever earned or, or will earn, where we have time on our hands and where we have health and we have the prime opportunities uh, to contribute to the life of the church and the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 48 says, From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much will be asked. And Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen, Don't store up for yourselves treasures. In other words, don't take all that you've accumulated and accomplished and store it up for things here on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Leverage everything that you have gained, everything that you've earned, everything that you've been entrusted with, everything you've been given for the kingdom of God for eternity. Well, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So for those of us in the decade of our 50s. Let's recognize that much has been given to us, that much has been entrusted to us. And so instead of trying to hold on to everything that we gained in our 20s and 30s and 40s, and in, instead of trying to wrestle away the control from those who've gone before us, let's answer God's call to, to lead the way 
in moving from accumulating and consuming and, and, and gathering those resources to store up for ourselves here on earth. Instead, let's leverage that. Let's invest. Let's contribute to the kingdom of God like never before during these prime years. And let's keep doing that so when we look back with God at our, our 50s, we'll hear him say, well, good. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Good job, Greg. Now those of us in our 60s, I just joined you two months ago, but here I am. Three words, pass the baton. The 60s is the decade, and and actually we're using the same passage, uh, Pastor Randy and I are, because there's some blurring uh, that happens 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. But much of the 60s is all about how effectively we are passing the baton to the next generation. Our church started in 1870. We're 146 years old. Do you realize how unique it is for a church to still be thriving after 146 years? It's almost unheard of. And as you look back over uh, the generations of our church to see the incredible fruitfulness in multiple generations, it is actually, you can maybe count the churches on one hand in American history that have experienced what our church has experienced. It It is very, very unique. And I'll tell you how this happened. We are a church. We may have certain strengths and certain weaknesses, but one thing we're pretty good at is baton exchanges. Uh, Some have been better than others, and those of you that have been around for a number of years uh, know that sometimes the baton pass has gone better than others, but all of those baton passes from generation to generation have been effective enough that we've been able to thrive generation to generation. Now, I just love this passage, Psalm 71, uh, verses 17 and verse 18. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. But then in verse 18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all those who are to come. Oh God, don't forsake me until I've had a chance to hand off the baton. Uh, Declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Oh God, help me be strong enough to hand the baton to the next generation effectively. Now, I'll, I'll admit, as you look across America, just read a book on this, and, and it's amazing how handoffs are the most challenging time in a church's history, generation to generation. It is the most dangerous time in a particular church. The most challenging time and the most dangerous time is baton exchanges. Uh, it's, it's true. It's very similar. A good analogy is the four by 100 meter uh, relay exchange or race, uh, 400 meter, four by 100 in the Olympics. Uh, I think it's not too much of a generalization to say that in general, over the history of the, of the Olympics, the United States on average, and it's a little bit different recently with the Jamaicans and that kind of thing, but over the, the whole history of the Olympics, in general, uh, Olympics by Olympics, the United States has had the four on average fastest men in the world and the four fastest women in the world on average. But we do not always win the four by 100 meter relay. Why? Bad baton passes. That's been the thing that has nailed us uh, as a country. Just, just the last Olympics, our men failed to get a medal. Why? A bad exchange. They, they exchanged the, the baton too soon. 
They took it too soon in the, in the place where you're supposed to pass it off, in the transfer zone there. They exchanged too soon, so they were disqualified, got no medal. The women, on the other hand, had great baton exchanges, and so they got the gold medal because they passed the baton well. And the same thing is true for churches that want to be long-term churches, just one, not just one generation flash-in-the-pan churches, churches that want to be around until Jesus returns, 146 years and more to come until Christ returns. Uh, churches have the same challenge. Uh, some, sometimes we don't raise up another generation uh, to take the baton from us. Uh, sometimes we fail by doing the exchange too soon. The greedy younger generation wants it too soon, okay? But sometimes, and this is what happens most of the time, most of the times, you look across churches across America, they want, exchange, they want to hold on to it. The previous generation holds on for dear life to the time, don't want to give it to the next generation. That's usually the problem, and sometimes we drop the baton entirely in that exchange. As a matter of fact, here's a two-and-a-half-minute documentary on this phenomenon within churches. Let's watch this together. Since the dawn of church history, ministry leaders have been passing the baton to future generations. Some transitions are smooth, others are not. Today, we're going to be talking about five classic examples of how churches pass the baton. One common mistake the churches make is that they never raise up another generation to pass the baton to in the first place. When they get to the end of their lap, there is no one there to receive the baton. Sometimes churches do raise up a new generation, but they have trouble passing the baton. They drop the baton in the process. This is due to lack of foresight and preparation, and the transfer fails. Sometimes when passing the baton, it is simply a matter of timing. It is not uncommon for the next generation to become impatient. This baby boomer is taking way too long. I want the baton now. Sometimes, too close. The previous generation isn't willing to give the baton up. But every so often, once in a while, the rarest of events transpires. A church passes the baton to the next generation with perfect form. So remember, always be a church that passes the baton. Wow. Now, two very sad things about that, that, that video clip there. 
this used to fit me perfectly, this, this thing. And number two, I pulled both of my hamstrings filming that. That was very, very sad. Let's hear it for Pastor Randy as he finishes things off. In 2016, the first crop of baby boomers turned 70. Bill Clinton, Cher, uh, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, so many other high-profile people. Thousands of people turning 70 were the ones who pioneered this great nation in the area of space travel, medicine, and technology. And uh, we, we kind of rest on their shoulders today. I like using the, descriptor, the descriptors, rather, retired, rewired, and the new retro to describe this generation of 70-year-olds plus. The origin and etymology of the word retro it's French. It comes from the word retrospective, and when it's used as a prefix, it means to combine action, which is reciprocal. Cheryl and I have a few items of furniture in our home that, when purchased 35 years ago, were considered very contemporary, and now are considered mid-century, <laughs> unfortunately. Mid-century or middle adults, as now referred to, are redefining what retirement looks like. They're repurposing their life experiences into ministry and service projects. They're also renewing their passions to help support the next generation of leaders. Vivek Wadwa, a technologist and entrepreneur, says, Ideas come from need. Understanding of need comes from experience, and experience comes with age. The Bible tells us, since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your mighty acts which are to come. Psalm chapter 71. According to the Administration of Aging here in America, they're telling us that the largest demographic over the next 50 years will be adults who are 65 years of age and older. That's an awesome awesome statistic. And I truly believe with all of my heart that it was no accident of God who allowed such a large number of middle adults to be alive at this very moment in time. In, this, in His great sovereignty and wisdom, He chose to raise up an army of middle and older adults such as ourselves to help the next generation without letting go of what God has called us to do. Hans Fenzel and Rick Hicks write in their book, Launching Your Encore, they say this, middle, if middle adults choose to live an exclusively entitled lifestyle, they may lack fulfillment and become a, a drain on society and their families. They might even end up in a very dark place. If they choose, however, contribution, these years may have the potential to be some of the most fulfilling of their lives. Their final act just might be their greatest. If you're 70 years old or older today, there's much for you to do. There's much for you to be. There's much for you to give and much for you and I to contribute. First of all, just I might suggest this. Be an encourager. Hebrews 3, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There are people all around you who need your encouragement because you have survived to this point. You have something to say. You have earned the right, in most cases, to be heard. 
Also, number two, be an agent of change. Come alongside others in ministry and help to remove barriers for their success. Number three, be a resource, even a living resource. Demonstrate to the younger generations that you are retro and that you're relevant. You have something to say because of your life. Four, be a spiritual influence. Impart moral and practical truths whenever you can and live by example. Number five, be a blessing. Renew your passions by blessing others with your time and your talents and your resources. Be there. And also, I might just add, be a great-grandparent or great-grandparent, because in so doing, you will affect the next generations, and you'll have a second shot at your own kids as well. Number six, be a pioneer. Model godly missional servanthood. And start a new ministry wherever you see a need, because you're still young enough to serve. Lynn Savota, one of our gentlemen who's uh, 70, is confined to kind of a motorized wheelchair. What did he do? He took his phone book in Chino, and he goes through the phone book name by name by name by name, and he calls every one of them, and he just introduces himself, and he says, how can I pray for you? And most of his responses are off the charts exciting. Bev McCormick stays home with her 90-plus-year-old mother and is a caretaker uh, and just a tough situation. Those of you who are caretakers, you know how tough that situation becomes year after year. So what she did, she took her computer and she made it a weapon of spiritual warfare. She became a part of Groundwire and JesusCares.com, and she began to build electrical or electronic relationships with people all around the world, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and she shares Christ and has seen dozens of people over the last few years. While she's a caretaker, these people have come to Christ and walked the line of faith. And also, be a warrior of prayer. Middle adults... The time is now. Get involved while there's still an opportunity. Be active while you still have a chance. The clock is ticking. Either you and I go to pasture or we live our encore. The best is yet to come. Your final act may very well be your greatest. God bless you guys. As the, uh, as the praise band comes back up for uh, just one song of closing worship, uh, they're going to hate me for this, but could you give a standing ovation to our wonderful leadership team here? Let them know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, and how much we praise God uh, for their leadership. Like I said, we're going to worship with one more song. Uh, when we're done, uh, the prayer room is available. Our prayer partners and our prayer team is there, and they would love to pray with and for you. If in any way that would be an encouragement. Um, you know, let me give you a little homework assignment. Titus chapter 2, this has been kind of cool to do this by age groups. Hasn't this been fun today? And in Titus chapter 2, you'll see how Paul did that in that that could be kind of our homework assignment. Titus, the second chapter, where Paul kind of addresses different age groups as we've been doing uh, here today. So, Lord, right now, I pray that as we close with a little time of worship here, that our hearts will focus back on you and that you will use each decade of Purpose Church to build the body of Christ, to expand the kingdom of God, to serve others, and to serve you until you return. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family says. Amen. Amen.